This is The Thirst Tank, presented by Trap Brewing Company. I believed so firmly and passionately that that building should be owned by an independent Bristol business and could be a world-class brewing facility in the centre of the city that would both provide us with an amazing business opportunity, but also the city of Bristol with like a, a, an attraction that would pull people here and help expose people not from the city, both to our beers, but also to the amazing beers that are produced by other independent producers in the city, like something that was going to create a gravity to pull people to the city. Hello and welcome back to The Thirst Time, a show that takes a deep dive into the stories and minds of some of the brilliant people we have in the beer industry today, all starting from that first beer that changed everything. Now, I'm super excited for today's guest. I know I say that every week, but I genuinely am. He is owner and founder of Left Handed Giant. He is Bruce Gray, or as some of us call him, Sensei. The thing that I really think sets Bruce apart is his philosophy. He sees business not just as numbers and figures on a sheet, but as a living organism made up of the people, and those people are the thing that are going to drive you forward. Bruce has been in the industry a little while now. He started with that little known brewery called Brewdog when they were first setting up uh, their bars around the UK. And from there, he went on to set up a distribution company in Scotland before making the move south and finding his home in Bristol, where he went to open the legendary venue that is Small Bar. He's also led an incredibly successful crowdfund campaign to create the beautiful brew pub Finzels, nestled right on the river in the heart of Bristol's city centre, as well as the aforementioned left-handed giant. So the man has been busy. Now, any one of those projects is a huge undertaking, but especially the Finzels. Raising that much capital and trying to get that over the line, I knew was a huge, huge project and could not be achieved by a mere mortal. It takes laser focus, absolute commitment and a fierce drive to get it over the finish line, not to mention a good team of people around you. And Bruce has that in abundance. I don't think anything can exemplify that more than the fact that he does uh, for his recreation, Ironman competitions, the occasional 90 mile run. He mentions in this podcast a run that he's undertaking probably as this is coming out, uh, a 200 mile run over consecutive days and, you know, just the occasional light marathon. The man is a beast. (laughs) So he's achieved a lot and someone that I have huge amounts of respect for. So let's get to it. We start by asking that all important question, what was that first beer for him? And it all started on a stag do in Las Vegas. We got sent to this place called the, the Double Down Saloon, which was like a back alley dive bar in Las Vegas that you uh, never closed. They had they had no door. It was just a door frame. Although I guess that's probably changed now. To be fair, they probably just a boarded up, boarded up hole now. Um, but yeah, this is like two thousand and eight, and and my friend who who lived in the US, um, who was on the stag do with us, was like, "You got to, you got to try this beer." And you know, I was a, I was a, I, I firmly a lager drinker, tenants lager back in those days. Classic. Um, and um, and I, you know, I approached this this murky liquid with a great deal of scepticism. Um, and um, it was it was New Belgium fat tire, um, and I, I remember drinking it and just being like, just being blown away by the by the flavour, the mouthfeel. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have the the vocabulary, the knowledge to to know what it was back then. I just knew that it was different. Yeah, and it was tasty. <laughs> um, uh, and um, I was I actually had a, so we ended up going on a three week road trip. So the, it was a weekend stag do, but my brother and I ended up doing it. We we did three weeks after the stag do, round yep. about um, Seattle, and then down the down the west coast and all the rest of it. And um, and I spent the time hunting this beer out. You know, I was looking for I was looking for it. So I did my I did my normal at that point and found something I liked and, and just stuck with it. Um, so I spent three weeks hunting fat tire. But then when I came back to the UK, you know, it was like it was like I was I was hunting for something that was like that. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2008, you know, it was like 
Um, uh, there wasn't a great deal of things in the marketplace in the UK that were like that. So radio, you know, was kind. Of, I remember drinking Landlord in a bar called Cloisters in Edinburgh. Classic um, bar. And coming across, yeah, coming across Landlord for the first time and, and really enjoying it and thinking it was like it had like um, you know in its own way touches of of what I'd found in the US. Um, uh, and then obviously Brewdog. Um, I you know it was like 2010 came across Brewdog. They were a couple of years old at that point, and that really was like the, you know, my beginning of um, realization that that type of beer that I'd found in the US did exist in the UK. That's so. It's so funny to just hear everyone's different stories. I love the fact that a stag do in Las Vegas has given birth to. <laughs> your career in beer which has led to so many things like i mean we're going to go through all this in in this interview but like you know you've touched on many different aspects of this industry you've had a huge effect and a huge influence i'd say on beer in general within the british culture especially like the craft beer and especially you know bristol where you've kind you've settled but but yeah, just that moment in a dive I'm bar. Not sure. in I'm Las not sure Vegas. if you mean, a, mean a, a, a positive or negative influence there. But. Yeah, definitely a positive. <laughs> you know, positive. We call you sensei for a reason, Bruce. You are the, you know, the um, Okay, so let's, you know, so what were you doing before you kind of, because we touched on Brewdog there, which is kind of, I imagine that's, th- that was your first point, like career move into beer. So what kind yeah. of stuff were you yeah. doing before that? I, so I was uh, I was uh, I left school and became a professional golfer um, as a, as an eighteen year old um, uh, and when I say that that makes it sound an awful lot better than I do I was, uh, I, was I sold Mars bars <laughs> I sold Mars bars in a pro shop <laughs> I was not I was not on the European tour that's wow. for sure um, but I did that for a few years before realizing that um, that I was never going to be on the European tour. And um, and that's what you know. That's, I didn't want to sell Mars bars in the pro shop. I wanted to. And, and when I when I realised I was never going to make it as a as a player, and my and my life in golf was going to be likely working in a pro shop as opposed to playing. Yeah. I, I I I quit that entirely. So I, I left golf in my in my mid to late twenties, um, and um, floated for a little while. Worked in bars. Um, I, um, uh, without really any, you know, any idea what I was going to do with my future, um, uh, and uh, you know, the the Brewdog really. So the, when I I was working in a bar called um, Betty Mulligan's, this Irish bar in Edinburgh, when I uh, when I first got contact with the Brewdog guys, um, uh, and um, I didn't, you know, I didn't know craft beer in any way, shape, or form. You know, I do fat, fat tire in, in the US and mm-hmm. drinking cast beer. In in Edinburgh, um, but there was no. The, I I didn't seek Brewdog out. I didn't seek a career in craft beer out. I just there was a friend of mine, a guy called Chris Mayer, who who may come back into the story later on. You sure will. Um, uh, who 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 worked in uh, Brewdog at the time as a sales guy, and he knew I wasn't happy. You know, I wasn't doing what I wanted to do at that stage. I was just doing something to earn some money and pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but um, I think he he knew my personality and um, uh, and obviously knew Brewdog and felt those two things would work well together. And, and he is, suggested me to the. And this is this, this is before the the, the very first bar and yeah. And I, yeah, I mean Brew, Brewdog would have been two years old, so it didn't have a bar at all. Yeah. And they were looking to open their very first bar up in Aberdeen, and they were looking for a manager to um, for the last four weeks of the of the fit out project opening project and mm-hmm. then someone to run the bar thereafter. Um, so I went to Aberdeen and had a chat with um, with James first off um, uh, and um, a guy called Mick Cameron, who incidentally went to Australia and opened a brewery called Pirate Life, um, which has now became quite successful. So yeah, yeah. Mick, the Mick was, um, was my boss back then. Um, and, um, but I, you know, I went up and took on that bar and, um, it was just such an exciting thing to go and do because really at that point, you know, even before the bar opened, I did, you know, you, you do your due diligence into into the UK beer scene at that point. You know, I was looking for other places that were doing something similar. Um, and really, like, back then, you think of craft beer bars, like, the only place, North Bar existed. Like, you know, that was, uh, you know, that was there. Stable, the rake yeah. was there. Yeah. Um, uh, 
you know, but the, beyond that, there wasn't many places that were like actually dedicated to to like the, what at that point would be um, considered modern craft beer. Um, so you know, it was it was really we, we were we were introducing to the certainly the Aberdeen public, and over the next two years after that, you know, I was I was in Brewdog for a couple of years and opened up the first ten bars, I think. Um, um, it's a long time ago now. It was ten ish. Um, up and down the country, London, um, um, Manchester, Newcastle, Sheffield, these places, um, Edinburgh, Glasgow, um, you know, opening bars up and down the country, um, really introducing to the people in those cities, like something that they'd never really came across, like it's, that type of beer. Yeah. It's hard to even, one, it's hard to but, think about it. Like it's hard to contemplate yeah. like that now because it feels like such a intrinsic part of, of, of like most cities now, like most yeah you know, trendy bars have to have some kind of craft beer line on, yeah. but like at that time, yeah. like you were saying, yeah, like yeah. In, just, it's full introduction to... Yeah, to, it just didn't, didn't exist. Yeah. So there was, a, there was a whole education process had to go on, normally with the people that were going to work in the bar as well as with the people that were going to use the bar. But there was so much interest in Brewdog, Dog, I think, just as a brand at that time, um, uh, that um, that it was quite easy to get people through the door. So yeah. once you got them through the door, then then as long as the team we were passionate and excited and engaging um then it was quite easy to get them on board with what the beers were and um, you know i think that that was that was a large part of um it has been the brood of bars have been a large part of the of cracking craft beer into the mainstream of the yeah. uk public i mean yeah punk ipa you know like again a lot of these interviews that i've done with british british brewers if people have gone on to work in the in the beer scene you know brewdog was mm was part of part of that journey yeah. um yeah how, how many of how many of the people that work in the in breweries and bars around the country now started off in brewdog bars? yeah totally like, ev- everywhere yeah and um, I, I was just about like to they, say it like put, when you said about the guy who's starting in australia i was like yeah all roads lead back to brewdog basically it's just yes, like yeah. let's all, just all, almost almost <laughs> Um, yeah, every every brewery bar, like almost always, there's there's some um, some connection and route back to back to Brewdog back in the, back in the early days. So, can I just ask what your kind of like? Because this is Brewdog's first bar, so people need to like yeah. kind of settle. They they, they weren't that you know. I was just reading an article a minute ago where they they're opening up a hotel in Manchester. You know, what I mean this this thing has changed yes. a lot since that first bar in Aberdeen. What was yeah. your perception of James when you met him and what, what kind of feeling did you get of the brand? Did you see someone that was like fiercely driven or just was it just this kind of cool thing that was happening or could you see that they had a direction and that you were, you wanted to be part of that journey? It was, I mean, it was, it was, it was all of the above. It was mm-hmm. that, you know, there's, there's two, two guys in particular, you know, Martin's a lot quieter um, uh, from a public perspective, certainly. Yeah. Um, but both both of them, like you know, super driven, switched on, um, and um, but equally have a have a very 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 clear and always did idea of where that company was going to and what it was going to be. Um, uh, I think I, I I was in that company through through much more luck than judgment. I was in that company yeah. for the perfect two years for me. Yeah. Um, uh, I you know the I I would not have thrived in the company it is now. But I did thrive in it in a, when it was a young um, startup, I guess. Fast, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's exactly what it was. It was, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a startup that mm-hmm. was uh, moving. Ex- I mean, they, they always have moved fast, but um, moving extremely fast. I was given a, a huge amount of autonomy to go out and discover what those bars were going to be and how they were going to feel inside, how the staff were going to react and behave with the customers. Um, and what the beer lineups were going to be, you know, the design of them, everything, just giving a huge oh, amount wow. of autonomy. Um, and it was so much fun and so exciting and so many lessons to be learned in an environment like that because it is moving so quickly. Um, and really, you know, for, for me, like my career, everything that's happened after that, not just from the people that I met and the contact tax that I was able to make, but also like the amount of mistakes that I was able to make in that company because so much was happening, um, but not do it um, with my own money. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of had a, li- a, li- a little bit of risk free. It doesn't all fall on you. Got some, you yeah, you got some cushioning at the back end there. Yeah. Like I was able to go in there and, and, and James and Martin, to be fair to them, like they knew that I didn't have the experience prior to that to 
run a company of the scale that it became under my watch, but yeah. they were happy and willing to trust that my um, work ethic and yeah. desire to do it right was enough. Um, and um, you know, and it was, it was, it was, it was too. Um, extremely exciting um, and beneficial years um, of my life. Yeah, and I know that we've like kind of talked about this before, because but you've kind of skipped over and it sounded really fun and stuff like that. But it was really hard work, wasn't it? You were like up and down the country, opening different bars, <laughs> like <laughs> like firing through all this. And I know that you said something to me way back, which was kind of interesting, is that you know, like when you're in that slipstream, you know, you're working with like Martin and James, yeah. who are just so fiercely focused on what they want to do you kind yeah. of just go with it and you and you kind of just working yeah. within in in that current and then you kind of step out of it and kind of just like whoa yeah fuck yeah. that dead, was, dead that, was, that a, was a for, super for, intense yeah. two years yeah for for james in particular i think that you know he's a he, his his work ethic his drive his desire to grow that company is is you know is is uh is something else um and um you know, anyone that falls into that gravity, I think, will get will get pulled along for a certain amount of time. A lot, you know, a lot of people got burnt out by it, um, myself included, probably. To to be fair, I think you know by by the end, I don't think I would have recognised at the time, but in, in hindsight, I think by by the by the end, I probably part of my desire to leave was a desire to get off the treadmill and have a rest. Um, as I said, I don't think I, I don't think I would have recognised at the time, but it was you know it was it was. Anyone that falls into that gravity with them is going to is going to get pulled along, and um, the, the speed at which they're doing things is going to increase. And if you can hang on in that slipstream, like you can, you can elevate yourself and the things that you're doing and the way you're doing them um, in a way that would never be possible outside of that gravity and that slipstream. Yeah, and also you know like, but it you- Go on. Go, I was just saying also like what a crash course like like you say it's not yes it's not necessarily all your f- finances that are kind of yes enrolled in it so yeah. you can kind of just yeah. see yeah. where it goes wrong see yeah. where it goes right yeah. and and just fly what through an education yeah like an absolute what crash a, course uh crash <laughs> like yeah. like physical and mental crash after two year course of yeah. Uh, yeah. Of, of learning yeah. what it and, and 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 a business that's totally in its infancy not just the business but yeah. the, the the beer scene in its infancy and yeah. you've just kind of gone through yeah. this absolute tornado. So when yeah. you did kind of step out of that slipstream, you weren't burnt out by the beer, like the actual kind of uh, subject that you were working for. But so what was it that kind of, where did your head go? Like what, what were your thoughts after I, that? Yeah, well, it, it got to a point um, um, with the company, there was like a hundred and, 110 or 20 people I think in the company that worked directly for for me by the by the time I, time I finished wow. I don't think I have I don't think I have ever um, um I don't think I've ever will thrive in an environment where I'm not able to talk directly on a day-to-day basis with the people that I'm working with mm-hmm. and who are working for me I think I I think I have always and will always work best in an environment where I can you know I can hopefully enthuse people with my enthusiasm you know yeah. it's like uh, i can talk to people learn from them engage with them um hopefully work out what they're doing how they're doing it help them do it better um uh, but by the time you, you get to that many people in a company and, and there's you, you've got to manage people by um by numbers and by spreadsheets you know mm-hmm. it's like uh you know you pick you pick out key managers and and you manage all the rest through them um, and I felt like a real disconnect with the other people in the company. And, and when I left, I, I did so with a real desire to do something that was smaller um, and that I could control the growth of um, and could have a far, far more in-depth and greater connection with the people that I was going to surround myself with. Oh, I love this. Um, and, I love it because yeah, this, uh, this is the foundation of Bruce. Like just just being laid, as you said it, you know, the, the character that I know and the person that I know. You just like, I love doing these interviews for just finding that moment where you're like, right, they're your ideals. That's what you want to work to, and you have you you yeah. built a business exactly based on those principles. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, you left Brewdog and went into, but you went into the distribution arm with. The previously, <laughs> yeah. the previously mentioned yeah, Chris Mayer, who got you the job at Brewdog. Yeah. So you guys, so, did, did you leave in kind of um, 
In tandem? Yeah, so no, Chris had already left. He worked for, um, I think at that stage, Williams Brothers. And we both handed our notice in at the same time. Yeah. Um, with, the, with the intention that we were going to set a company up together. Um, but um, Chris had a, had an idea for, uh, I mean, it, it, again, at that point, like there was no there was no real route to market for independent craft beer in Scotland. Um, and obviously Chris was a sales guy. Yeah. Um, uh, I had, you know, became fairly um, proficient at, at managing back-end um, accounts, finances, spreadsheets. Um, uh, so we went into business together. We, 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 were, we were buying beer off of um, the Forest Palette came from Thornbridge. Um, we bought beer off Buxton, um, Magic Rock. Amazing. Uh, Red Willow. The Red Church, the Colonel, mm-hmm. Lovey Bonds—you know the 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 cream of the UK brewing crop back in back in those days—and we had a little um, um, storage storage facility at one of you know the um, big yellow type things up in Edinburgh. Um, and we would uh, we would rent a van, and uh, Chris would sell the beer, and we'd go and deliver it together in Scotland. I, well. Matt, who is our head brewer now, used to yeah. run uh, a bar in Manchester, and okay, and I'm pretty sure that he said that Chris delivered right down to yeah. Manchester. So you guys were no, covering no like doubt. we 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 went everywhere. Yeah, we were we were, we were everywhere. Uh, what bar did he run? Uh, the Font in Charlton. The Font, yeah, 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 and yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and Manchester. Yeah. But he used to kind of do his yeah. own little distribution thing where he'd he'd drive Steady. to breweries in like London and just to pick up one keg and. And really? it's just all of this kind of like excitement and bubbling, like, yes. like you say, there weren't yeah. that many yeah. routes to market. There weren't many like established distributors. Yeah. So, so getting this yeah. stuff was really different. And then I guess the yeah, other was, thing is that there, there wasn't that many established bars to actually be selling this yeah, product. It was yeah, all very, yeah, very yeah. new. Um, so what, what was the distribution there? I mean, it's a hard game. It's a hard fought game, the, the distribution yeah. side of things. So I, uh, so I've been in. So that so that that was a company called Craft Centric, which actually became a new wave when I, as I left it, yeah. um, which is a whole other story. But I, as I left, it became a new wave, um, and, and still exists. It's one of the one of the biggest um, wholesalers in Scotland. Chris still runs it, um, yeah, he an and um, has 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 been a has been a you know a huge success. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, so when we moved down to Bristol, we we did it in a similar manner. So obviously, we opened a bar in Edinburgh. Me and Chris at the same time called the Hanging Bar. Um, uh, so we had, you know, the, the the showcase at the front end, focusing on, you know, small independent breweries, um, uh, and um, providing a sh- providing a showcase where people could come down and drink the types of beers that we were we were wholesaling distributing into Scotland. And when I came down to Bristol, we I pretty much followed the same model, but just did it on my own without a, without a business partner. Um, and we opened up uh, um, a wholesaler down here, distributor down here, and also small bar, you know, another yeah. bar um, showcasing small independent breweries. Um, uh, and followed a similar model where we, you know, we, we wholesale beers around about the southwest, Wales, um, uh, southwest, and drove into London frequently and delivered beer across the M4 corridor. Um, but, um, you know, wholesale is just such a difficult game. It's like they, that that point in the middle. I think people people they get they get a hard deal of it as well because everyone the brewers and the bars think that their leeches sitting in the middle, um, getting rich off of not doing very work, very much work. And in reality, you're sitting there in the middle making tiny margins, tiny margins, yeah, with with big liabilities out to pubs. And I run pubs. I you know I I don't feel I'm but pubs are awful at paying bills. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like try, trying to pull debt in in the in the hostility industry is is a notoriously difficult thing to do. And I say that being in hostility, you know, I don't think I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not. You, I'm you not work on all aspects: one. brewery, um, distribution, and bar. Yeah. So you can speak. Um, about but that. It, but it, but it, but it is you know it, it notoriously difficult to to pull debt in on time. Um, so you're always sitting in the middle, owing money to breweries, trying to stick by your payment terms so they'll keep supplying you, not getting paid off the bars on time. So that um, and and the and the margin that's left in the middle being so small that run, running both companies, Craft Centric and Big Bear Distribution down here, the highest net profit that I ever achieved was like one point five percent. Wow. Yeah. 
yeah, they are. So you're making you you know a, a, a good turnover, and you're being left with an absolute sliver yeah. at the bottom end, and you're and getting shit on so all sides. Li- <laughs> oh, it's shit on all sides, and it takes it takes so little to go wrong mm-hmm. for a company like that to end up in very very serious trouble. Which is why you see wholesale companies get in trouble all the time. Yeah, um, you lose a, a, a bad debtor. Um, someone goes bust, and and you lose uh, you know a decent bit of um, money that was owed to you. Um, uh, or someone just doesn't pay you for some significant length of time. It's so easy for a wholesaler to end up in trouble. Yeah. Um, I dread to think, honestly, at the far end of this, COVID, um, how many of them are going to manage to come through the far side. And, you uh, see people like Pigs Ear, actually. I've got a lot of respect for what they've done through this whole thing, the Fuss Club. Um, they've really diversified there and put their, and put their weight into a totally different avenue that was foreign to them before this thing kicked off. And I think what they've done there actually has probably allowed them the ability to survive not only COVID, but also thrive in the future. There's something there that'll be a real um, asset to them as a wholesale company. Yeah, I can only agree with that, like in and recognizing exactly the struggles of a distributor and then also recognizing the the struggles of the brewery and that those relationships that you kind of have to keep and and you know I mean it kind of put a real shutdown between breweries and distributors because it was all like payment mm. terms and everything kind of just got cancelled in a, in a in mm. a finger click. Um, but I don't want to dwell too much on that because I do want to get to the story of how like because when I did the interview with Adam from Verdant. Mm. You guys kind of went on a similar journey with your crowdfunds and your projects and these mm. really amazing kind of uh, facilities that you wanted to to get to. But you came at it from very different directions. So, you know, when I was speaking to Adam, it was all like shipping container, little brewery, like slowly building up. But you came at it from a totally different side. So you'd had this kind of like tornado through the industry, seen all the different aspects of it apart from the brewery. So what made you kind of turn your head to actually wanting to produce beer? It was always, it was always part of the, even with a hanging bat in Edinburgh, making beer in the bar was always part of the plan. I think that's like, I remember a lesson from Brewdog being that whenever we took members of staff on, we always sent them to the brewery. And that was something that was driven by, by James and Martin, to be fair. But I could always see, and even when I did that, when I first came to the company, I went and spent a week in the brewery. The feeling of like excitement that you get when you see behind the scenes and you see the raw ingredients and that turning through into a product, you taste beer from tank. Yeah. And, it, you know, the, the beer stops being like a product and starts being something that has a soul if that makes sense. Yeah, it's totally. like uh, it ceases, ceases to just be like this thing and turns into into something that you can you can you can care about and um, uh, and fall in love with and like it's something it's something else mm-hmm. once you see behind those curtains um, uh, and leaving Brewdog and opening up a wholesale company um, uh, and um, uh, and a bar like you you lose that connection like bet the best well in the world communication across the bar about someone else's product. Mm-hmm is not going to be the same as someone standing behind the bar talking about a product that is made by the same company that they're standing in and they've been to the brewery and tasted from the tank and spoke to the brewers. So we, we felt it was really important that back, right back in the early days in the hanging bat, and this, and this echoes forward into small bar, um, that there was some form of production in the bar itself. Mm-hmm. And likely that beer was never going to be hugely commercial but it would be something that was made in the bar and people could see the tanks and give them a taste from tap and let them um, see the beer getting made in there and smell the brewing process and give them some connection to where beer comes from so that was always really the you know the the aspirations were were that modest and that this is you know to small bar now as well um, the aspirations were that modest. It was always part of the business plan. We'd have a small brewery. Likely the beer would not go very far afield. Um, if we were lucky, we'd make beer that was good enough that would sell in the bar itself. Um, but that, you know, that was really the extent of the aspirations um, for us. But the the whole, for us, like a year into small bar, the whole thing changed when a guy called Rich Poole um, uh, 
came in and had a conversation with us. So this goes back to Jack Granger, who's my business partner, one of my business partners now in Left Handed Giant, ran a bar um, called The Hair and the Hill in Bristol before he was the very first manager of a small bar. Mm-hmm. So before he ran small bar, he was the manager of a place called Hair on the Hill. And Rich Poole had this little brewery called Rocket Science that was literally just a 50-litre kit in his garage in Yate. And he didn't didn't make much beer, you know, but what he did make was 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 amazing quality yeah. um, for the scale that he was making. So Jack would buy all of his beer, like little 20-litre kegs, a few bottles. And then when Jack came over and started running small bar, he continued to buy all of the product from... Um, from um, from Rich, um, uh, and um, uh, over the course of that year, we we got to know Rich. I got to know Rich, um, uh, and um, uh, sorry, my battery's dying here. Got no, okay. um, I, I I got to know Rich along with um, along with Jack, and the conversation over the course of over the course of time and beers, um, the conversation kind of like went from being like you should do this in a bigger scale, Rich, because you're making like you're making beer that we're selling in small bar. And putting on the boards along with some of the best breweries in the country, and your beer is of a quality as all of those other beers that are up there. And all these people are building like amazing businesses oh, off the back so of their beers, and and you're making an effectively kit in a garage in Yates. And you <laughs> should be making something. And Rich was always like, Rich is super cautious. Yeah, um, uh, it's not got a business background. You know, he's a, he's a, he was a home brewer. He's now a, yeah. you know he's now a, a He's got a water background, hasn't he? He was like yeah, like yeah, water treatment yeah. and stuff, which is a great base yeah. for, for brewing, obviously. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, and over the course of like a year, the conversation went from us being like, you should do this in a bigger scale to being like, yeah, maybe we should do this in a bigger scale. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is where the, the band gets together. So that like, because you, Jack yeah. and, and Rich are the foundation of what yeah. will become. Left-handed giant. Um, giant. And I love the fact that, you know, we were talking about Verdant and stuff, but their journeys intertwine with yours on on many levels because Adam was bringing beers to to Small Bar for the first time and that's where they kind of got their break and uh, the kind of excitement of actually brewing beer that people wanted. So when you, you, I guess you haven't dealt with the kind of mechanics of a brewery. You've dealt with the, you, you know it and understand it, but so what, when you've got this kind of group of people together, you've got the brewer, you've got you two guys who've got great business acumen. Shout out to Jack for being an absolute legend as well. Um, so then, you've, you know, the idea is bubbling away. Well, it, in theory, like, we had a bar, yeah. went through a lot of volume of beer. We had a wholesale company which had a route to market across the southwest of England, you know, three, four hundred odd customers at that stage. Um, all we had to do is make some beer and the rest, like in theory, like is easy. Yeah, you've got the front end. And the, rea- yeah. re- the reality was, <laughs> was painfully <laughs> different. Oh, I can't wait to dig into <laughs> some horror stories because I know you, cause you guys started with contract brewing, didn't you? So you, you didn't go all out for, um, no. you know, you tested the water so, a little yeah, bit. So, so it seemed... Ah, so, so obviously we, we had contacts around about the, the Southwest too. And Michael Wiper actually had... Uh, so Wiper and True had just... And built their own brewery, so he's he's a good friend of ours from um, known him from Small Bar, um, and he had vacated a few breweries around the side because they were obviously Gypsy Brewers. Yeah, um, they so they'd vacated a few good breweries, and he was kind enough to give us the contacts for all those people. So we literally just stepped into Michael Wiper's shoes and filled up the tanks that they'd been filling up for the two or three years beforehand, um, and built relationships with some breweries that he'd been using. Um, to to brew at so um, we um, we stepped in started brewing beers um, I'd like to stress as well actually back then because we were not I, I know you said contract brewers but I, we we brewed every single beer yeah sorry that was that yeah, yeah. It, we, gypsy so brew. yeah because I, yeah. I, yeah. I think people don't like that term either so it's, it's a funny thing you know but I think there was and I always tried to make I I make a point of differentiating those two things when we were doing it. Mm-hmm. I think it's important because you get contract brewers who make a phone call, or drop an email through and say they want a 4% pail um, and then the brewer will provide that with a label on it. And you get people that literally get in the van with the wrong ingredients that we kept in a warehouse here and drove there and Rich would brew on their kit and go back. And, so it's literally um, just like and a chef borrowing a kitchen. We, You're just going in with the wrong I, ingredients. We, we, yeah. 
Everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and to, to be fair, there was, uh, you know, the, the fermentation dry hopping we left to the brewery. So there was, you know, there was a, there was a partnership there. But uh, we did try as best we could to 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 be really involved in the process when we did that. But we did that for a couple of years. And, you know, the, the, in my mind, there was a it was a really important learning process to go through working with some other people and making beer. But probably the, there was the learning curve, but also there's a real pressure that you put in yourself when you build a 10 or a 20 or a 30 barrel brewery with tanks because you doesn't matter what you do you you have financial commitments at the back of that kit that you need to make as much beer as that kit can make yeah you need to sell it yeah was at least it with with the way we did it we were able to dip our toe into the water because we're using other people's facilities we were able to make as much beer as the market demanded at that time so we were able all the way through to make just enough beer that the demand was just beyond it if that makes sense and did you have so a just, sense- ma- just just manage that capacity so there was always like a, you know so, so you know, demand always outstrips supply and did you have any feeling that, that because like you said there, there's a total difference between like contract brewing and gypsy brewing and things like that so you know the, the very foundation of what that beer is going to be rich is going in there and doing but was there a little bit of angst where you like, this is still out of, it's not totally in our control and we feel that if we could bring it back into our control, the quality yes. at the end of that, because I know you have a few horror stories, I won't mention any names, but the first time I met you, <laughs> you, <laughs> you let me let me know about one and I was like, oh, okay, I think we're brewing with those guys. Um, <laughs> uh, you were as well, remember Yeah, yeah, the day after I was like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm so oh, sorry, no. dude, I didn't know anything about that. Um, uh, but yeah, there's always like not being totally available to that product all the time yeah. There's always going to feel yeah. a slight disconnect, isn't there? Yeah. So it's a, co- it's a it's a compromise. You know, yeah, no, it's a compromise. Go on, sorry. In, in exchange for the in, in exchange for the for the flexibility in production and upfront costs, yeah. there was a compromise into the consistency and quality of the beer. Yeah. And there's no you can we I, you know I can say that and honestly now I probably wouldn't have admitted that at the time, um, but um, but that is the reality. Um, uh, and you, there's there's no getting away with that no. way, away from that I should say I, I could, if I could go back and do it differently now I wouldn't you know I think that the the way in which we grew the business was the was the financially um, uh, and um, uh, it was it was a sensible way of going about it totally um, at the time with with the cash that we had available to us um, and allowed us to grow to grow, to grow a foundation of business that ultimately became what we've, what we've got now. How amazing it is when a group of individuals, all with their own skill set, manage to come together to create something bigger than themselves. And that's exactly what happened with Left Handed Giant. A chat over a bar, three great people, and the brewery is born. But also, luck, chance, opportunity, call it what you will, but it plays a huge role in how a business is formed and where they're going to end up. And Bruce's journey is no different. Here we get into the nuts and bolts of how the Finzels project came to be. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the first time, and this is our interview with Bruce Gray. There's so much I want to talk to you about, Bruce, and I'm just uh, aware of our time. Like, we're <laughs> short already because of technical. But like, we, this, can do, we can do a part, part two and part we'll three. We'll definitely do a part two and part just, three. We'll just right? j- jump on every week. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just, I just have like, uh, you as like an agony and, and just ask you problems and help, ask you to solve them for me. But um, so this, that's great. That's the foundation. And that, that is the foundation of where Left Handed Giant started. Um, yes. And you guys coming together small, and being like, bar, yeah. yeah, you've got the you've got the front end built already, but like, like you know, we've got places to put this beer, we've got a bar to put this beer on, and you ha- had had that connection with Brewdog where you're like producing a product and then being able to sell a product. There's just a kind of to get really esoteric, like a spirit that runs through that. There's the kind of like a feeling that of connection that that I think is really important and a really incredible thing. And if you can provide it on every level. Then, then it's going to uh, the product's going to shine for it at the end, and yeah. the customers are going to respond to it as well. I was going to um, say, when when did that next step come for for the actual like commitment to go right? Right, we're going all in. Uh, yeah. the the brew pub actually. The, there's a lot of the the story that 
when I think back and it's so much more luck than judgment Mm -hmm. and I wonder how often that is the case with people and how often people are willing to admit it you know it's like there's a it's not your plan but there's something comes along that kind of um that offers an opportunity and you grab hold of it with both hands and run with it um you know it wasn't what you intended but it ends up being um being great regardless um and so we you know we're bar me jack are bar people at the base of it you know we're we, we were lucky enough that we met a really talented guy in rich um, and he's allowed us the opportunity to have both sides of this business. Um, but ultimately, building the, the brewery, growing the brewery, the plan was always that we did it from a brew pub perspective. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was going to be a, we were going to create a facility that bridged that gap, reduced that distance between tank and tap, allowed our customers to stand there, like within, within touching distance of the tank and drink our beer. Um, uh, so close to the tanks that it was like you're drinking it from them themselves um, uh, and um, uh, there was a premises came along in the centre of Bristol that fell through in the end but I went through the process of um, raising the funds to fit that premises out as a brew pub mm-hmm. and it fell through and I ended up in a position where I had all these people committed to invest money into our business this is before the crowdfund mm-hmm. so it's not not that financial raise um, all these people committed. It was about one hundred and thirty thousand pounds, I think, at that stage, which at the time felt like a like a like a fortune. It is yeah. a fortune, yeah. Um, uh, but um, that was to fit a premise out with a brewery. Um, and actually, in hindsight, now it wasn't nearly enough to fit a premise out with a brewery. No, I did not it's know like that at the time. So again, even touch the again, more, 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 yeah. More, more, more luck than judgment that yeah. the premises that we were trying to take on fell through, <laughs> because um, because we we ended up with this money, you know, committed. And nothing to spend it on. Mm-hmm. And I went back to the to the investors and said, "Listen, the plan is, you know, the, the premise has fallen through. There's nothing else available in the market at this stage. But what we could do instead is just build a brewery in the warehouse that we used for wholesaling just now. It would increase our margins by X amount. Blah blah. You know, we we put the financial package together to persuade them that that was the right plan at that stage. Um, and we'll keep our eye on the marketplace for a brew pub." Mm-hmm. Um, and all, all of them, I think, 100% of them got on board with that and still committed their money. Um, so we went ahead and built the brewery in St. Phillips um, and um, kept watching the marketplace. Um, and sure enough, a year and a half later, Finzels came along, um, by which point we'd grown the company you know, by a fair chunk again. And, um, and then it was a case of going back to the drawing board again and figuring out how we raised the funds for, for that one. So it was like... A, you know, the, the the plan was not to, in reality to build a standalone commercial brewery. It was to build a, you know, a brewery inside the premises. So but that was always, again, like yeah. I, if I if, if I could go back and change the, you know, the 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 pace at which we've done it now, I you know I wouldn't. I think that the you know the more luck than judgment um, strategy has has worked out fairly well. <laughs> well, because it, it, it's funny that you say that. So I'm going to go to when like uh, I first meet you actually. So when we came down and did a brew with you. And this was, I, I think you guys had only been established as a brewery for like four months, as in like your own premises or something yeah. like that. So it was like I, I remember vividly, yeah. super fresh and you were sat there on your laptop and you were like, oh yeah, we're, well, there's a bit of a pitch that I'm trying to do for this spot. It's like a really amazing uh, facility. It's just, it's just, an, it used to actually, it used to be a brewery, didn't it, uh, Finzel? Yes, it originally. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got two, of, two, 250 years of brewing history. Yeah, and you were just like, it's a big project, and you showed, I was like, fuck, man, that's insane. Like, uh, that, <laughs> that is a really, you know, because again, we were, you know, not far into our kind of journey and, and, and seeing the scope of that project, but also, you know, the, the financial, you know, implications yeah. of what you yeah. needed to, to, to produce something yeah. there. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I think I left thinking, oh, they won't get it because obviously some property developer will come in and be like, I just want to build flats and they'll be like, yep, we'll do it. And then, yeah, so you went and you made that pitch and you got it. We, we somehow persuaded everyone involved that we were capable of doing something that we were completely incapable of, yeah. <laughs> of executing. I, I mean, this is, you know, you, you raised those funds on the back of like being a... a, a established brewery in your own sense for like four months you went on to then and this is you know you at at the heart of it bruce which we kind of covered in at at the start is just that that laser focus and be like we i can do this if i put my mind to it i know that i can achieve this and it's going to take a lot of hard work hard work but i know i'm willing to do that hard work to get us there so yeah you you made that pitch which what was the feeling when they actually like said yes 
Wanted to buy the building. Yeah, were you just like, okay. yeah? Um, <laughs> it, well, it was a funny one because the because the the you know to put to 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 give the full um, parameters of that conversation. Obviously, they they had that place in the market, but when you when you're when you're looking to buy a premises like that, it's not really a case of um, it's not like buying a house. You know, the 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 people who are selling it are looking for a prestige. Um, business mm-hmm. to go in and be the and be the focal point of their of their um, you know range of offices and hotels and all the rest that are in there, um, and obviously there you know there were, there were some other big companies that were looking to go in there, Fuller's, Youngs, um, oh, and wow. those others. I can't remember. But yeah, there was there was big companies looking to go in, um, but the, luckily for us, the developers were are, are fairly unusual um, uh, and they were looking for you know independent business rather than big business but they were very 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 concerned about our ability to pay for it <laughs> um, and obviously that first meeting you know it's like a chicken and egg situation like you're you're like you can't raise the money without the, the premises mm-hmm. um, to persuade people to invest the money you know, so we needed we needed a, that the photographs of that place on our pitch to be like this is what we are raising. This is what we're going to do with your money. This is why it's going to be awesome, and this is what it's going to turn into. But we can't do that without having persuaded the developers to sell us the building in the first place. So we can't have the money to buy the building um, without having the building in the first place. Yep. So I had to go down and sit and sit in that meeting and 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 persuade them that we could. We were competent professional people and we could afford to buy it and afford to fit it out. And obviously was was successful in the end in doing that. And it took quite some time um, and um, and more stretching of the truth than I would... I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to get you in any uh, legal <laughs> trouble here, I was going to say so. that, that I'm entirely comfortable with betting in, in, in public. But... You know what? How did I feel at the end of that comment? You know, when they, when they eventually came back and said, "Yeah, you're you know you're our guys. We want you to do it." Like probably more fear than mm-hmm. excitement. Like uh, you know, what have I, <laughs> what have I done? Yeah, because I mean, the, gotta, the the ideas are a lot, no, aren't they? And the imaginations a lot. But like, uh, I have ideas all the time, but it doesn't cost millions of pounds to do it at the end of it. Yes. You know, when you actually get yeah. granted, and so, you're like. Holy shit! Yeah. We have to make this a reality. Yeah. Like, and yeah. and yeah. everything's so, on the you know, line. To, to, you know, to, to put it in, like, I'm like, I know, like, I don't have millions of pounds. I'm a normal guy. Like, I don't like anyone listening to this. I don't know how rich your average person is. Like, I am an average person. I live in a you know in a, in a small house in Kensham. Um, still, you know, I don't like. I'm not. I'm not a rich person. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that was a that was a three and a half million pound project on that round. And I, yeah. you know, the. And the, and the building cost 1.4 million to buy in itself. And I mean, the fit out cost thereafter. Um, like I committed ourselves to something that was like, imagine you walking down into a building and um, committing to pay 1.4 million for it. Like, how would you feel? Yeah, it's, I mean, I mean, it's making, it's giving me like butterflies just thinking about how terrifying that is. <laughs> Signing your life yeah, away for something. Yeah, dead on. Um, and um, you know, it was it was a very. But on the other hand, you know, there was the there was the fear. But I believed in that building. So, like, I believed in our company's ability to go into that building and create something that was world class. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't, I, you know, the, as much as I, as I, as I exaggerated and persuaded those people to sell us that building, and then did the same thing, you know, to to raise the funds in the long term. I would not have done any of that if I did not believe that ultimately that would turn into something that would pay everyone in the chain back with dividends yeah so that makes sense it's like uh, you totally. know the, it wasn't it wasn't like uh no it's not like you're standing there as a charlatan like try to take everyone's you know trying to take the building mm-hmm. um and um and do nothing with it or try to take people's money and not pay it back like it was a, i believed so firmly and passionately like that building should be owned by an independent Bristol business mm-hmm. and could be a world-class brewing facility in the centre of the city that would both provide us with an amazing business opportunity, but also the city of Bristol with like a, a an attraction that would pull people here and help expose people not from the city, both to our beers, but also to the amazing beers that are produced by other independent producers in the city, like something that was going to create a gravity to pull mm-hmm. people to the city. Um, 
and I, I, you know, I believed all that so passionately, and I, you know, I, I, I would like, I hope that that is exactly what we've done, and we yeah. now have this, you know, this. You did it hands down, Bruce. Yeah. Like it's yeah. for those that haven't have uh, had the pleasure to go there. It's it's breathtaking. It's it's utterly beautiful. I mean, the the site alone, you have like this huge opening. A, a, a literal bridge directly across the river into the into the space. You built a a brewery in a and a bar in in the floor space that still feels open and welcoming. And it's it's a beautiful, and that, yeah. beautiful, beautiful project. And you should be yeah, and that, proud. that courtyard facing onto the river. Oh, it's just yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. Oh, and I I, I find it. I have always found it difficult to. You know, it's like I, I, I try and be modest, and you know, it's like, uh, and I, and I, and I've, I've always found it difficult to talk ourselves up. I mean, feel embarrassed doing so, but I find it really difficult not to, not to walk into that building and just be blown away by how beautiful yeah. that facility is. It's, it's, uh, I'm so, yeah, I'm so, so proud of it and so chuffed with it. Yeah, I mean, I said again to bring the verdant thing in is just that both of you guys have kind of like had that vision of a project, seen it from just this derelict kind of you know well just yeah derelict building um yeah. into into something that when you can just i think the time i came down you weren't actually brewing beer in it yet but i was just like how does it feel you just standing here like there's people gathering drinking beers there smiling laughing um and you did it just f- all from your own imagination yeah. and and pure yeah. kind of a uh, pure will to get it done and I, I yeah. have nothing but, you know, I can only commend the work that you guys have done to, to, to get to that point. And I know yeah. that it was it's something else. It, I know that it was absolutely flying as well. And um, so when we started this, I said, there's a slight somber tone to, 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 <laughs> to all of this, because the same with you, you and Adam, you'd, you'd gone through all of these projects. You, you'd, you'd worked your asses off. The vision had come to, uh, to fruition um, and then suddenly, you know, the, there's there's a gate that comes slamming down. Um, yeah, you know the painful thing is with the um, with it. So we we Fendels was open for nine months prior to COVID closing us down, and um, we actually didn't get our brewery. So we opened the doors at Fendels at the end of June, but um, we had a really we had a really difficult um, business um, situation through July, August, September, October because. We hadn't got the brewery online down at Finzel's and it took off to such an extent, it was packed, that we were stripping all the beer from our St. Philip's brewery to supply the taps down there. So we lost all of our, most of our wholesale sales. Um, so we were just um, robbing Peter to pay Paul. So like this finances didn't really stack up because we hadn't, it wasn't, it wasn't massively adding to our sales. It was adding margin to our sales. Yeah. Um, but it was only really in November, December when the two breweries were working side by side the business actually turned into the model that we had projected and we had the profit margins from St. Philip's wholesale sales, profit margins from Finzel's, the brew pub sales working side by side and the business was actually doing turnover and the profits that we expected to. Yeah. So that was December, um, January and February. I remember sitting there in January um, and obviously there was, a lot, there was a huge amount of stress for two and a half years from like the beginning of raising funds for Finzel's, you know, all that all that process at the start, persuading people to be involved in the process and then the stress of executing it, whether we could execute it and then executing it and open the doors and the finances still not quite being what they had to be. And then December, January, February, sitting there looking at the numbers and being like, finally, like after, and even like going back 10 years, like me and Chris hanging back, like always just struggling and really like Mm -hmm. profit margins being slim and, always fighting to grow this thing and establish it. And finally, I looked at the profit margins down at Finzel's and here and was like, you know, I think we've actually done it here. Like we've created a business model that works, like actually genuinely profitable Mm -hmm. and can execute the goals that we've got for the future. Um, uh, You know, I think we have actually done this thing. A real sense of like relief, I think and joy and happiness and pride and all those things um, uh, in January. And then, you know, like seven weeks later, the world stepped uh, in and said, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw, I saw you at Cloudwater's festival in February and, you know, you looked like a man who 
exactly as you just said, you'd finally got all these cogs moving in the right direction to come together. And like I say, that synergy of, of, of things working for each other to a point where, you know, the, the, the project that you dreamed of was running the way that you dreamed it would. And, and, and the ideas that you had actually were valid. There is a bit of a somber tone that runs underneath this interview. Uh, when I first started this podcast, it was to reconnect with people as we went through a pretty rubbish lockdown, but it was riddled with hope that it would be under control soon and businesses would be back up and running and the world would be well again. I wasn't quite that naive, but I was hopeful. Um, Sadly, that hasn't been the case, and we are nearly nine months on from the first episode. And Bruce is better placed than most to uh, to really understand the implications for the hospitality trade. And here in our Where Do We Go From Beer, he lays out how the future might look for his business and for other businesses. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the first time, and this is our interview with Bruce Gray. I'll yeah. start with us um, uh, with with the brewery. Obviously, our our plan has always been employee ownership, and really that is the that is the that is the thing that everything is driving towards, like profit margins, cash in bank, um, higher margins at Finzels, the connection with our customers and our team. Um, everything is all driving towards the day that we can um, hand the majority of our customer across to our employees mm-hmm. um, and allow them to be the custodians that take the whole thing forward. Um, uh, that can only happen with um, with with profit margins, with yeah. stability, um, uh, with paying off the debt that we've used that we've accumulated to grow the business to where it is right now. Um, the reality is, we wanted that to happen. We expected that to happen. Um, likely three years after we opened Finzels, and likely this whole thing um, uh, is going to set us back by probably two years. You know, and the the that is painful, and mm-hmm. I I think I have I I've I've went through all stages of grief with this thing, mm-hmm. um, and um, I think I'm at the point of acceptance now. It's uh, I think it just while I went through um, all the different parts of it, I've been angry, sad. Um, uh, I I think I've got to the point now where it you know it, it is what it is. It is ultimately. Um, uh, only a business. We all, every one of us here um, so far have our health. Um, mm-hmm. We've all remained close to each other and kept calm and relatively happy through the whole thing. Um, I'm talking self-service, I'm, you know, it's our, it's our close group. Um, yeah. But um, we're going to get through this. We're not going to lose our business. I don't believe at this stage. Yeah. Um, and um, we were lucky going into it that we are a business which has our feet in both camps. We produce into what are quite in-demand cans, um, as well as got a bar. So when we lost our bars, we were able to channel our direction and energy over into cans. Um, we already had an online shop that we were proficient at using. Um, a lot of people, breweries, do not produce into um, a packaging that is amenable to online shops yeah. um, or do, don't have the customer base that um, are willing to go to the efforts like that to purchase their beers and bars don't even have that like if if you are just a company that runs bars um what have you done in the last um <laughs> nine months what you're likely to do in the next four months yeah the answer is nothing mm-hmm. and you've been asked to sit to subsist um uh, on um on one thousand five hundred pound a, a, a month grant from the government it is it is that the hostility industry has been absolutely kicked. Is being absolutely decimated by this whole thing. How it look in five years' time? Like that. There's the, the the implications of this. Like they will only really play out. I think in the in the year to two years after it. You look at the loans that people have had to take to get through it that are not being repaid yet. Yeah. Um, uh, you look at the um, the debt and tax and the PYE. Um, VAT, um, uh, some people beer duty, which have deferred payments for all those things, kicking them down the line. There's going to be a point where you're no longer able to kick those things down the line and defer them, and you'll have to pay them um, along with starting to pay C bills back. Yeah, um, uh, it's at that point, you know, middle of next summer, next winter, early early the following year, twenty two, 
and uh, that I think really, really the implications bars, breweries shutting will start to be seen, um, and I and I fear that the the impact is going to be fairly severe. Ultimately, it's the the and painfully for the for the scene as a whole. It's the it's the independents, the small independent producers, um, the you know the owner operators are the mm-hmm. ones that are going to suffer. Like the punch um, uh, enterprise pullers, St. Austell's, these guys, um, uh, they are big enough have enough assets where they can weather this storm mm-hmm. um, uh, and their bars will open back up again. It's the ones, it's the, you know, it's the independent operators, the, those owner operators um, uh, that um, they're going to be the ones that end up getting kicked out the door and pushed out of business. Yeah. It um, feels like it's, a, it's, a, it's just a sad, sad, uh, sad. Yeah. It feels thing. like the, yeah, we're in the epicenter right now, but those tremors will be going out for quite some time. Yeah. Um, well, on that happy note there, Bruce, I think I should ask you the, ve- the very last question because we kind of, we went into apoc- uh, apocalyptic mode there. Um, and the very last question is, if you had one last beer to share with friends or to drink by yourself that you'd made or someone else has made or maybe has never been made, what would that last beer be for you? Oh, geez, you know what? I've listened to all your podcasts. Yeah, you forgot, forgot about this question. Because <laughs> 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 I, I thought of the, what, we, what my first beer was. Not your last uh, one. What would it be? You, you know what? I'm going to be really biased here. Um, uh, the last the last nine months, we have, you know, we've, we've brought a brew pub range in, and it's been so nice um, seeing ses- our session beers. Um, in Cannes and because obviously the bars are shut mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not out and about you know visiting bottle shops like you know you would in normal life I've drank so much more of, a, of our beer I think than I more than I ever have in the past and probably ever will again in the future mm-hmm. um, and, our, and our brew pub beers have been have been such a pleasant because they only came online in January so you know it's really through this year um, our West Coast Pills I just love and it came off the back of um, the Timber the, Pills. There was, we, yeah, dead yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, we, so we did that, the, the, the collaboration with those guys last year, and they brought Timber Pills with them. Um, uh, and, um, and we drank it in the, in the brew house after the brew day. Um, and it was just, and I was like, we've got to brew a beer like this, and we have, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually a fresh batch just got packaged this week, so I'm, I'm taking the six pack home with me tonight. Yeah, and, um, and you're going to uh, send me some in the post, aren't you? That's the. Uh, I'll yeah. send you. I'll send you a pack up, pal. <laughs> um, uh, and honestly, I think if you know, I, I, if if I had to get um, plonked down and left with a fridge full of something, I think I would just stock it up with the West Coast pills. Ah, dude, I don't, I don't think that's a bad choice at all. That beautiful, like crispness, but with a little like. Uh, uh, orangey edge to it and just just yeah. chuggable by the by the gallon oh uh, uh, bruce uh, i know uh thank you so much for for doing this with me i really wish we could go no. for longer but i know that we're under certain time restrictions um yeah thanks so much for having me on pal it's oh, just been mate, it's been lovely to talk to you i mate, an honor and you've been such a kind of influential figure in uh in my personal journey as well um we didn't even get to the fact that you're a fucking Ironman and uh, triathlete and, <laughs> and all of those aspects. Uh, maybe I'll fill that in 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 the in the mids and the intros and stuff and give people a little bit more scope about when when when's this podcast coming out? So this is I'm going to try and get this one out before the end of the year. So I've got another one really? in the bank. So, so I'm doing. I'm, I'm doing a race called the Spine Race and it uh, leaves on the 8th of January. I hope I am if it yeah. doesn't get cancelled. So any, anyone listening to it that wants to um, that wants to watch a dot crossing a screen for five days, um, <laughs> look up, look up, look up, look up the Spine Race and oh, you can um, you can see what how, I'm up to. How far is that one? Uh, it's 268 miles. It's the it's the Pennine Way, so it goes it goes up the Pennine Way. Um, it's, uh, and you're in running the, it? in the middle of winter. Yeah. Uh, well, running, staggering, crawling. <laughs> oh man you're gonna need some uh some david goggins in your ear for that one i think yeah absolutely um thank you so much bruce it's always a pleasure to catch up with you and let's do this again and hopefully do it in person when we can share a beer and uh, and, and put the world to rights once more i would love that pal. that's it another episode of the first time done a massive massive thanks to bruce for giving us his time i'm sad that i didn't take all this time that i rushed through it a little bit um there was so much more i'd like to get uh you know to get out of him and get from him 
And the reason I said in the intro that we call him Sensei is because he's always a man that we look to for a little bit of guidance. Um, someone that has always got a firm head on his shoulders to really understand what's going on without necessarily panicking about it. So, again, thank you guys. Thank you so much for listening. This is Track Brewing Presents The First Time. If you haven't already, head over to the website, get yourself some beers, www.trackbrewing.co, and you can get fresh beers delivered nationally right to your door. And if you're in our local area of Manchester, then it will be delivered by one of our beautiful delivery drivers. This show and all shows have been produced by Tom Coucher. Shout out to Tom for being such an incredible part and integral part of this podcast journey. Thanks so much, dude. You do an awesome job. So, until next time, stay thirsty. Stay thirsty.